without rhythm, all you have is chaos. And I realize it's probably the exact sort of thing you would expect a drummer um, like me to say, that you really need drums and rhythm, that they're the most important thing. But that's, that's the truth. If without rhythm, there is complete chaos. And so when I was in, in high school, I was in uh, drumline um, in our marching band. And for one of the things we did in marching band was we would go and, and march and parade, sometimes in a really big city, sometimes in front of lots of, of people. And when you go on longer um, parades, the band members who have to, to blow their breath into their instruments couldn't play for very long because they're just weak or something. I don't know what it was. But, but we drummers, we had to play through the whole parade. Um, to keep the beat going, to keep the rhythm going. And so we had these things called cadences, which we would play in between the band playing, which were basically like extended drum solos, which meant they were awesome. And so we had three cadences, and one of which we were never allowed to play during really big parades. And the reason was band members had a really hard time finding the rhythm to the beat, to the step, to that cadence because its rhythm was all over the place. It was chaotic, it was inconsistent, it was syncopated for those of you who are musicians. And so we were never allowed to play it. But it was also our favorite cadence. So my senior year in high school, we were going to Walt Disney World to do a parade and we seniors decided we were gonna play this cadence during this parade. And that we knew our band director wouldn't give us permission, but we were fairly confident he would forgive us. And so we started, we, we get into the parade, we get most of the way through it, and my friend Mitch, he, he led us in to that cadence. And the confusion was immediate. <laughs> band members who knew we weren't supposed to play this looked back at us in fear and shock. You could see their feet having no idea where one, two, three, and four were, and then we saw our band director running from the front back to us, telling us to stop. We didn't stop because that would have been more awkward. So what he did was he came, he grabbed my friend Mitch's drumsticks and he started banging on his drum one, two, three, four so that we would know we have the rhythm now. We can stop playing because our band director is pounding out the rhythm on the drum. And he did forgive us for doing this. But it, it, that, that moment I've never forgotten, just that, that reality that if, if you don't know what, where one, two, three, and four are in a song and music... It's chaotic. It's, it's crazy. And for me as a drummer, one place I feel this is anytime I go to a basketball game and people start clapping in rhythm and have no idea where the one, two, and three, four are, and it just keeps getting faster and faster to then it just becomes noise. That's all it is. It's chaotic. And without rhythm, all you have is chaos. And it's not just true of, of music. It's true in our lives as well. Then my guess is all of us would probably in here say, I'm I'm busy. That I have a chaotic calendar, a chaotic schedule. That we have a lot of noise around us, and maybe you don't know where one, two, and three, and four are. That we wake each day to a sprint, and we sprint to the finish until our day ends, we lay our heads on our pillow, and we go to sleep. No rhythm, no song, just chaos. Well, there's a better way to live, a better rhythm to live. If you open the Psalms and you read the book of Psalms in the Bible, there's a phrase that, that comes again and again and again throughout the Psalter. It's day and night. It was in Psalm 1, the first week in our, our series. And this phrase, it's all over the Psalms for, for a reason. The, the one thing that's crucial to your life of prayer, if you want to be a praying person, is, is not that you pray a lot. I think that tends to be what we think is, i got to pray enough. I think that the more crucial thing is, do you pray in a rhythm? 
Do you have a rhythm to your prayer life, a day and night? And so for centuries, in both the Psalms and in church history, in the great masters of prayer in our Christian tradition, there was this advocacy for, for a rhythm to prayer, for prayer in the evening and prayer in the morning. And so as we continue this, this series in the Psalms, a series on prayer, I want to get extremely practical as we unpack Psalm 4 and 5 this morning. To say just, just flatly, if, without a rhythm to your prayer life, your life will be chaos. If there's no rhythm to your prayer, you just have chaos. That your life won't have a song, a rhythm to it. And the Psalms invite you into a simple rhythm. It's not complicated, it's not hard. It's hard, but it's not complicated. To prayer in the evening and prayer in the morning. A Psalm 4, it's an evening prayer. Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. So this sermon, it's really simple this morning. Point one, evening prayer, Psalm 4. Point two, morning prayer, Psalm 5. So let's jump in. Evening prayer with, with Psalm 4. And my guess is when you hear that order, you think, Tim, you have it, you have it backwards. It should be morning prayer, then evening prayer. But no, that's, that's not how the Jewish day started. The Jewish day started evening first. That we Westerners, we like to start our day or think our day begins with the morning because we like to start the day with us. What we plan to accomplish, what we plan to get done, we look ahead to our day and we start our day looking at our calendar for all we plan to get done in the day. But the Jewish day is the exact opposite. It starts with rest. What God is going to do for you. What God is going to do without you while you sleep. The evening prayer is ultimately, it's about one thing and that is surrender. Psalm 4 is a prayer of surrender. So what does that mean? Psalm 4, evening prayer, it's surrender. Well, let me unpack that in, in two ways. At first, to, to surrender in Psalm 4, it means to stop hurrying and to start listening. To start, stop hurrying, start listening. That we are a hurrying people, aren't we? And that's even to some extent where Psalm 4 starts. It starts in a hurry, right? Answer me, God, when I call. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Listen to me. And then in verse 2, it gives you the reason that we're in a hurry. is that there's people around us who put pressure on us, who want us to go a certain way, who don't like us, who, who, who frustrate us. We're in a hurry. Psalm 4 starts, verses 1 and 2, in a hurry. And then you get to, to verse 3, or to verse uh, 4, yeah, verse 3, and it, it begins to slow down a bit. But no, in the midst of all your hurry, all you're worried about right now, on your bed, before you go to, you can't go to sleep because your mind's racing, before, just think about this, but, but no, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. That God hears. He's listening. Stop hurrying. Take your time. God doesn't need to hear you. Share your, all of your burdens in a, in a rush. We have, you have space. He's listening. He's not in a rush. He's here to hear. At the Psalms, they stop this hurry. And the psalmist in Psalm 4 starts his evening prayer with rest. With, I know God is hearing me. It's even why I like the psalms themselves, that there's so much white on your page. I don't know if you've opened to your psalms in your Bible. You know there's, there's not a lot of words there. I think even our prayer lives, we tend to just, just go and use lots of words, 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 no silence. And yet the psalms, there's very few words. They're packed with meaning, space to rest. And even that's where the psalmist goes next. Stop, he stops his hurry, he starts listening. 
And then he goes into unpacking, okay, what, what, is it, what does evening prayer consist of? What's the key elements of evening prayer? And I love where it starts. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Evening prayer starts with anger. I like that. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't like that. I like that. Because, listen, if you were awake for longer than 15 minutes in your day, you probably have something you're angry about or frustrated about. Right? Someone probably hurt or frustrated you or, you, or something broke or something you fixed broke again. Right? You're angry about stuff. If, listen, you live long enough in your day, you're going to be angry, frustrated, worn out about something. And remember back to even last week, prayer is not about bringing a nice religious attitude before God where our prayers are wrapped with a bow tie and, and you know, offered up in a gentle, quiet voice. No, it, it starts, be angry and do not sin. Which raises the question, well, how do you... How do you be angry but not sin? And that's where the psalm, I think, where it goes next helps us in, in this, this phrase, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. I love the way Eugene Peterson unpacks this verse. Here's what he says about pondering in your own hearts, being silent. Nothing more needs to be said. No explanations, no boasts, no apologies. This is who you are. And the silence, simply be the person God is gathering into salvation. I love that line. Simply be the person God is gathering into salvation. Now on your bed, you've lived your day. You said what you're going to say. You've done what you're going to do. You can't take it back. So stop with the excuses, the defenses, the denials. This is who you are. The good, the bad, what people have done to you, what you've done to them. That was your day. It's over. A new day has begun. And God's in that moment offering to gather you into a person he's saving, a person who needs saved. Just look at the last day you lived. A person who needs saved, and yet a person he is saving. I love that. She's just laying on your bed at night, and rather than feeling guilty, rather than making denials, rather than denying the sin that you've committed in the day, or the sin committed against you, you just, you just you own it. God, this is who I am. Save me. The evening prayer, it's about surrender, and it starts with stopping, stopping our hurry and starting to listen. And second, to stop wanting and to start adoring. In our world, it's, it's easy to live in a, a perpetual state of dissatisfaction. Always wanting the next thing, the next experience, the next stage of life, the next. And then we come to God, who has literally everything at his disposal, that glass of water on your nightstand, he can turn into the most beautiful, great tasting wine you've ever had in your life. He can heal all your diseases, everything that you're, that you're, all the sickness in your bones. He can take every frustrating circumstance in your life and make it good. And so it's easy then to sit on your bed, look back over the last day, and, and run through all the things God didn't do. Because there's a lot he could have done that he, he didn't. And in this culture, we're always wanting the next thing. We're always wanting uh, to be satisfied, to, to have fulfillment. God can be really frustrating. And that's the point of, of verse 6 in, in Psalm 4, where the psalmist says, you know, God, there's some people who pray to you, who will show us some good? God, show, show me something good. Do something for me. Prove yourself to me. The psalmist has a different attitude. Is that, is that where you, you live with God? Always wanting more from him. Or are you satisfied just with him? 
But that's the psalmist's point in verse 7. God, they can have whatever they want. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain, their wine abound. When, God, when you give them everything their hearts desire, I'd still rather have you. And every night you lay your head to sleep in evening prayer. You will have God. Your grain and your wine, it may not be abounding. You may be frustrated, but you can have your God. So do you live in a state of want? Wanting more, longing for more, asking for more. Do you live in a state of satisfaction where you can, can lay your head down each night and say, God, you put more joy in my heart than anything else. And lay your head down and go to rest. Is that where you live? Adoration of God. There recently a sociologist by the name of, of Christian Smith wrote a book called Soul Searching. And it's a, a long research and study of the religious life of American teenagers. And it was actually, most of it was done uh, sort of at the time, or right after the time I was a high school, uh, right after I was a teenager. So it's fascinating to read because I see my own childhood in many ways. And the most fascinating section of that study is when he, he bears in on, on the, the prayer life of American teenagers. And he says, when you read the scriptures, um, two things are noticeably absent from the the prayer lives of American teenagers. First is confession of sin. And that's next week's sermon, so I'm not going to dive in there yet, or or Andrew's going to take that next week. But second, the other thing that's lacking is adoration. Adoring God. Teenagers don't come before God and just say, God, you've put more joy in my heart. Their prayers are more, God, show me some good. I need you to do this for me. That the center of their prayer life is is want and not adoration. And before, if you're a teenager, a high school, junior high student, this isn't your fault. This is us who are adults. We have taught our students to pray this way from a place of want and not a place of adoration. And so you and I, we need to enter into this rhythm of evening prayer, this rhythm of satisfaction and adoration of our God. Surrendering up our wants, knowing we have all we need all the joy we could ever want in the living God of the universe. So what's the way out of, us, out of this for us? How do we get to this place where we pray out of adoration for our God? Let me give you one simple, practical next step. Pray every evening. It's simple, but it's hard, right? Pray every evening. I know you probably the first reaction to that is, but Tim, I'm too busy. My calendar, it's, it's stuffful. To pray every evening, it's just, not, it's just not possible. I'm too tired most nights. And listen, I get that. But the reason you need to pray every evening is because you are too busy. Because your calendar is so full. Remember the order of, of our rhythm to prayer. It's evening prayer and then morning prayer. That the, You need to start your day, each day, with a reminder that before you do anything, you're going to sleep for eight hours while God goes to work on your behalf. He's going to run the world without your help, without your input, and without any of your advice. And you're just going to sleep. But in a weird way, I've heard someone say that you're actually not going to be in existence for the next eight hours. No one's going to be aware of you. It's just going to be God, and, and it's actually, everything's going to be okay. But that's where our prayer life starts. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this. What's wrong with the world is God's business. It's a business which you will have a part in the morning when you get your assignment, Meanwhile, God is giving help at a far deeper level than any of your meddling will ever reach. You've had all day. Now God gets the night, and that's where your prayer rhythm starts, is evening prayer. Because here's the deal. We are busy people. But I don't think the answer to that 
that problem is to take things off our calendar. Maybe for some of you, that's what it is. You need to just start canceling stuff. But my hunch is what needs to, to happen is these things, these, these, our calendars, which are loaded down, they need a rhythm to them. Not that we need less of these things. We need a rhythm that makes sense of all the noise on our calendars, all the noise we enter into from day to day. And that's why we need evening prayer, to enter into a different rhythm that gives us a new context for our busy calendars that starts with rest each evening, putting our head on our pillow, saying, I adore God above all else. And now I'm going to sleep. And that's how my day starts. Start your day with surrender. Bring everything before your God on your bed. Your anger, your fears, your anxieties, your worries. Bring it all and listen. Stop hurrying. Adore. Stop wanting. And above all, stop your meddling. You can't do any good now anyway. You need to sleep. God is going to work on your behalf. And then practice Psalm 4.8, which maybe should be our life, our life verse. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So that's evening prayer. Surrender, that's where we start. Verse 2, or point 2, then morning prayer, Psalm 5. That if, if evening prayer is about surrender, morning prayer, it's about paying attention. That the prayer starts in verses 1 and 2 with God plea, or us pleading to God to listen, or the psalmist pleading to God to listen, right? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. For to you, O God, I, I pray. And then in verse 3, it flips, right? It changes in verse 3. The, or, sorry, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Right? It starts with God paying attention. It moves to us. Preparing a sacrifice, watching for God to act. It's the morning prayer, it's about paying attention. And when I was in high school, I, uh, one of my least favorite things was, was doing uh, driver's ed. Because few things are more boring than driving to nowhere. And especially driving with someone who's just there to critique your every move, the way you're driving the car. And so, well, there was one time in particular I was driving, and, and it was, I was bored. I was driving a road I'd driven hundreds of times before. And I, looked, I just looked out to the left, and, and I saw a cloud or something. I don't know what I saw, but I just started looking at it. And then there was a field, and, there was, and I was just looking. When all of a sudden, the brakes get slammed onto. The, you know, the driver's uh, ed instructor has that emergency brake for just this sort of situation. And she slams on it. I look, and I'm, we are bearing down on the car. I hit the brakes, too, which... I don't think mattered, but we, we stopped just in front of this car, right? And my heart is beating out of my chest, and the driving instructor, who apparently was watching, you know, she knew what was going on the whole time, just said, watch the road, right? Pay attention. And one of the reasons morning prayer is it's so important is because you are, you're driving into a day, you're moving into a day with all sorts of potential for disaster, which is a great encouraging way to start your day, I know. But that's the reality of it. And that's why you have to pay attention. In Psalm 5, as it begins to unpack, what the psalmist is watching out for, right? He offers his sacrifice, which is his prayer. He offers his prayer up in the morning, to, and then he watches. And as he moves on through the rest of the psalm, two things he's, he's looking out for, watching out. He's paying attention for. First is, is evil. In Psalm 5, it tells us to watch out. For the evil likely to come in, in your day ahead. And not for the evil out there, but the evil in your own heart. That, listen, you want to feel guilty about yourself. Spend your time uh, meditating on verses 4 through 6 each morning. They hear these verses that, that the psalmist says, For you're not a God who delights 
in wickedness, evil may not dwell with you. So what sins are you likely to repeat today? What's on your calendar that may lead you towards evil? What bad habits are you going to have to fight today? Because remember, evil doesn't dwell with God. And if you enter into a day to do evil, you're not going to dwell with God in that day. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Boastful, those who brag about themselves, those who make themselves the center of attention, those who make everything about them. Are you going to do that today? Verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Any white lies planned for today? Will you tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Because the Lord destroys those who speak lies. I mean, verses 4 through 6, they make you come to terms with the evil you're capable of. To start your day with the reality of, you're going to want to walk into sin today. Pay attention. But it's not, just, it's not just personal sin. It gets a bit worse, too. There are also people, there are things, there are forces in this world that want you to do evil as well. And that's where the psalmist goes next in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. In the day ahead, there are people who want to ruin your life, want to lead you into sin. And so the psalmist starts by saying, listen, evil is all around you. Pay attention. You're leading into a day where the opportunities for sin are all over the place. And so now that I've made us feel guilty and afraid, the psalmist goes somewhere else. He doesn't just dwell in evil. He dwells also in grace. The verses 4 to 6, they, they sort of level us, the reality, the possibility for sin in the day ahead. And the verse 7 becomes this invitation to see the grace of God in the day ahead. But I, through the, the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. The grace, or God's steadfast love, it's his grace. It's his persistent love of us. And so in the day ahead, it's not just evil that abounds. Grace abounds as well. So will you see it? Are you paying attention? Are you listening? The morning prayer, it gets us ready for our work ahead. That whatever your work is in the day ahead, whether it's um, at your job, as with your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's a day off, whatever's ahead for your work in the day ahead, there is grace there. God has been at work in those spaces while you've been sleeping and resting. And now you come up and you wake up into a day where God has already been long at work without your help, without your meddling, without your advice. And so, yes, the possibility of sinning is there, but the possibility of grace abounds more and more. God's grace is all around you. Will you see it? Are you paying attention? So evening prayer, it's about surrender. Morning prayer is about paying attention. And my prayer this morning, as we, as we leave this space, is that this week you would enter into this rhythm of evening and morning prayer. That's why we have cards on each of your chairs with um, Psalm 4 printed off in the dark side. Psalm 5, the morning prayer is the light side. That Our next step that we are asking and, and pleading with all of you to do when you leave this space is to pray every evening, every morning. Every evening, every morning. To enter into this rhythm of prayer to make sense of the chaos, the noise, the stuffed calendar. And to put those cards on your nightstand. And to enter into this rhythm this week.
Maybe you hear that and you think, but that just sounds legalistic, right? Prayer is supposed to be spontaneous. You're giving me a rule. And listen, I would have said the same sort of thing a few years ago. But but listen, there's only two reasons you're going to pray. If you feel like it or if you schedule it. If you feel like it or if you schedule it. And I think scheduling is a far better rhythm to prayer for two reasons. First, it's how our brain works. Our brain works in rhythms. According to a recent Duke study, more than 40% of the actions you and I perform are not intentional decisions. They're habits. So what that means is that nearly half of our lives, they're running on autopilot. Now, we do the same things in the same ways Every day, day after day. And so the, the book, The Power of Habit, and, and unpacks this, that our brain's actually structured in a way that it records patterns, memorizes those patterns, and then pushes play when certain cues spark those patterns. So here, just get practical. This is why tomorrow, most likely, when you get home from work, you'll, you'll pull into your driveway and you'll think, I have no idea what I was doing for the last 20 minutes. Right? You're driving your car at high speeds, but you don't know what you were doing. You were probably dreaming about who the Royals were playing or what you're going to have for dinner, but you weren't thinking about left turn, slightly move the steering wheel. No, it's automatically. It's, it's, it's a habit. You're on autopilot. Right? It's why as a drummer, we, I could play the weird cadence beat and not lose my step, but the other band members couldn't because I had ingrained rhythm and those, those beats into my head so much, I knew were one, two, three, and four. Most of our life, it's autopilot. And this is why set prayer times are so important for us. That praying these two prayers, a prayer, of, a prayer of surrender every evening and a prayer of paying attention every morning, it means your autopilot to life becomes surrender and attention. Becomes rest and grace. And let's be honest, that's not our autopilot. When your life is really unraveling, at night your first thought is that, you know, God's got this under control, I'm just going to go to sleep. Your autopilot is worry and fear, what's going to happen? Should I call someone? Should I send that email? Don't ever send that email late at night, right? Should I do, I need to do something. That's, that is our autopilot. Or in the day, our autopilot is sin. It's doing evil. And what the rhythm of prayer invites you into is every morning, every evening, we're entering into God's rest, entering into God's grace, and that becomes your autopilot. Surrender. Paying attention. But listen, you're, you're not going to find rest in your evening by trying really hard at it. You're just going to feel worse because you can't, you can't find rest. But night after night, if you enter into this rhythm, you'll find rest. That you're not going to... You're not going to live into God's grace and avoid evil just by trying harder and harder. By every morning waking up and asking, God, show me your grace today. Lead me away from evil. That we need a new autopilot as human beings. And our, our bodies, our physical bodies are structured for this rhythm. So one, I think scheduling t- prayer is, is a better way to prayer life because that's how our brains work. But two, remember, prayer is answering God. Now remember the point of this whole series. What we're trying to say is, is your prayer, it's not you crying out into the void hoping God is listening and God will respond and God will do something to you. No, prayer is God has spoken first to you in his word and prayer is a response to what God has already said and already spoken to you. And if you pray only out of your own initiation, when you feel like it, instead of at set times, your feelings are going to drive your prayer life. What you're, what you're thinking, what's in your, your mind, what you want to say, that's going to drive your prayer life, not what God has spoken to you. A scheduling prayer, it's a different rhythm that God has spoken to you and he's offering you in that, that word spoken into rest and into grace. Rest in the evening. Grace in the morning. 
And so you don't come just to get what's on your chest off your chest. You come to receive and to listen. God, I, I need to sleep tonight. Will you take care? I, God, I, I, I can't do anything. I'm done for the day. This is yours. I'm sleeping. Or in the morning, thinking of your day, God, I need your grace. I need to see it today. I need to live it. I need to know it. It's a different, it's a different rhythm. And scheduling time to prayer may seem more wooden, but it's, it's far more relational. Right? Instead of saying to God, I'll, I'll pray when I, when I get time or when I feel the burden, instead of saying, God, I have to pray to you. I'm scheduling it and nothing's breaking that appointment. And I would say even that, at least in my own life, that rhythm to prayer has made my spontaneous prayer life far more, far more rich. When I need to just drop down to pray, it's far richer than when I didn't have that evening prayer, morning prayer, evening prayer, morning prayer. And understand even, that's not just my advice, when you read through the church history, this, this daily office, this daily times for prayers is a huge theme throughout church history. And it, I mean, we're advocating for two times a day, evening prayer, morning prayer. It doesn't matter if it's three, it doesn't matter if it's seven. I don't recommend seven, that seems like an awful lot to me, but t- twice, evening prayer, morning prayer, these rhythms, whatever it is for you, this isn't a point to be legalistic. I'm just offering you one way, but I would advocate that you schedule that space for prayer. And maybe you hear all of that and you say, but I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. And that's why we printed these cards off for you. That's why we're going through this series in the Psalms. If you don't know what to pray, just pray the Psalms. Start there. Let them be your language. And over time, you'll find your voice. You'll find your language. You'll find your answer back to God. Start with Psalm 4 in the evening, Psalm 5 in the morning. I know it's, it's weird to have a sermon where, where do this. That's, this next step, I, want you, I really want you to enter, enter into this because we don't want to be a church that's legalistic. We don't want to say, do this and Jesus will like you. Don't do this. And listen, Jesus is going to love you no matter what you do this week. This rhythm's a gift offered to us. A rhythm of rest, a rhythm of grace. Not a legalistic rule. Because at the center of the Bible is an evening prayer. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying to his father, Lord... Could we go another way than the cross? And rather than going another way, God said, no, this is, this is the way forward. And Jesus surrendered. Offered up his sacrifice. Put his trust in the Lord. Even though he didn't want, he, that, that's not the path he wanted to go down to. It was a path of suffering. And that evening, Jesus went to his cross and did not get to lie his head down in peace and rest and quiet and sleep. So that you and I could. And then when morning came, as he was giving up his life, he prayed over the people who were his enemies, who were evil had surrounded him and was cursing him and, and spitting on him. And he said to those people, over those people, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And he prayed that so you and I, every morning, could know, regardless of the evil you're going to do in the day ahead, grace abounds. God's steadfast love is all around you. You can enter into his house because his grace was given to you on a cross. So this week, we invite you into that rhythm. Rest in the evening and grace in the morning. Let's pray.